Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Joint Action Podcast, where we have the privilege of discussing about the burden of osteoarthritis. Now, the impact of osteoarthritis remains a major challenge for healthcare systems worldwide, with approximately 528 million people affected around the world. The global prevalence of hip and knee osteoarthritis is approaching 5% and is expected to increase further with the aging population. The increasing rates of obesity in adults combined with the lack of physical activity and joint injuries are also contributing to the rise in osteoarthritis incidence. Osteoarthritis is a serious condition which has substantial implications on one's day-to-day functioning. It is associated with other diseases such as high blood pressure, high cholesterol and back pain, all of which lead to an increase in mortality. Now, for those of you out there who have osteoarthritis, none of this will come as a complete surprise to you. But I think it's really important that we reflect on the impact this disease has so that we better understand it, but also use that for advocacy and policy work when thinking about new innovations and strategies that our governments and people in healthcare can adopt. On this week's episode of Joint Action, we are joined by Gillian Hawker 
to discuss this really important topic of the burden of osteoarthritis. Dr. Gillian Hawker is a professor of medicine in the Department of Medicine at the Division of Rheumatology at the University of Toronto in Canada. She's an active staff in rheumatology at Women's College Hospital, where she's a clinician scientist at the Women's College Research Institute. She is a senior scientist at the Institute for Health Policy, Management and Evaluation, and adjunct senior scientist at the Institute for Clinical Evaluative Sciences. In July 2014, she was appointed the Sir John Young and Lady Eaton Professor and Chair of Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto. She is an active osteoarthritis researcher with a great interest in this particular topic and is a world expert in that area. And it's a privilege to have her join us on this show. Gillian, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. Fantastic. It's good to see that you're delighted as well. Now, as part of the initial get to know you point of the show, what I usually try to do is give you a little few probing questions so that the listeners can get to know you a little bit better. It also okay. helps for me to get to know you a little bit better. But in the first instance, can you share with the listeners a little bit more about your background and what a typical day looks like? So I'm a rheumatologist in Toronto at the University of Toronto, but I spend most of my time doing two things, doing clinical research in the area of osteoarthritis and a large administrative role at the university where I'm the chair of the Department of Medicine. So I'm responsible for all the clinical training of people in various medical specialties and research. Wonderful. Now, probably of greater interest to you, but when you're not doing your day job, what is it that you like to do? Albeit there's probably only three hours a year that that happens. Yeah, I was going to say, it? it's what? true. It's not a lot. <laughs> travel. I love to travel, which is not great during oh, the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I've got one kid in Stockholm and one child in England, London. So, uh, but I like to, I like to travel, love to hike with that family, have a great garden, love to garden. So I like being outdoors and physically active. Sounds like wonderful activities. And hopefully at some point in the not too distant future, you'll be able to get back and start traveling and see your kids as well. Yep. Now, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I'd say passionate. I would say disruptive. I would say high standards. I would say a good listener and caring. Is that five? That's probably six or seven, but good enough. No, yeah, no, that's definitely five. And I thought you were going to throw in excited, but uh, I'm very happy that you're <laughs> passionate because I'm sure that the uh, excitement gets captured in the passion there somewhere. It does. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, just being a little bit more probing and feel free to say, David, this is none of your business, but tell us something interesting about you that you don't think most people would know. I don't think there's very much that's terribly interesting about me, but I'll tell you something that people don't know, probably, is I'm a total bird fanatic. I'm sitting here actually with my binoculars that sit on my desk at all times because I have a bird feeder outside of my office window and I'm constantly watching and feed them year round. And I'm pretty encyclopedic in those birds. I love them. I absolutely love them. Wonderful. 
do you get out on weekends and go bird watching? Really? They come to our backyard. I know I live in the middle of Toronto, but there's tons of great birds. You just have to have your eyes open. And the baseball team's named after a bird. Do you ever see those? Blue Jays all the time. Good, good. Yep, yep. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful blue and they're big. bit noisy, but yeah. All right. All right. Anyway, we digress. I do love birds myself, but don't get a lot of time to do the bird watching. And I wouldn't call myself an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But let's get into the topic of the day, which is really talking about this big burdensome disease and getting your perspectives on that. I guess in the first instance, can you just give us a little bit of information about how prevalent osteoarthritis is and what type of osteoarthritis is most prevalent? Yeah, osteoarthritis is unfortunately way too common. Any estimate would say probably one in every three adults over the age of 65 has OA. And, you know, now we're starting to see younger and younger people with osteoarthritis. And probably the most disabling type of osteoarthritis is knee osteoarthritis. And the overall rates are increasing pretty quickly so that osteoarthritis right now is the third most rapidly rising disabling condition worldwide, which is pretty horrible. Now you touched upon some really important topics there, but I guess one is that I'd like to dig into a little bit further is, I guess, A, why are we seeing more young people with osteoarthritis and what are the major risk factors that are driving the increased prevalence that we're seeing moving forward? Yeah, great question. I mean, the the number one, I think, is body weight. We're seeing children and and adolescents with obesity at much higher rates than we ever did before. And obesity is a strong risk factor for knee osteoarthritis. So we're seeing consequentially a much higher frequency of really advanced knee osteoarthritis in people in their 30s and 40s that we didn't used to see. Other contributing factors are things like knee injury and ligament tear, ACL tear, meniscal tear, and then people who are just not using their muscles doing enough physical activity and get weak. And so that they're not supporting their joints as well as they might. But really, obesity is a big problem. Now, for our listeners out there, most of whom have osteoarthritis, what is the typical impact this disease has on an individual that's affected by osteoarthritis? Yeah, I have it too. Osteoarthritis causes joint pain. pain. It hurts you to use your joints, whatever joint it is that's affected. And obviously, if it's a lower extremity, a knee or a hip or a foot, it's difficult to walk. So it affects your mobi- mobility. When you have pain in your joints, it can affect your sleep. You can have interrupted sleep. You can have fatigue as a result of both being in pain and having interrupted sleep. You can't do the kinds of activities that you want to do initially, the things that are sort of more vigorous activities, and then eventually even things that are just basic daily activities like going upstairs or walking to the store. And that can cause mood change. So you can become anxious or depressed because you're living now, not able to do the kinds of things that you want to do, tired and in pain. So it's pretty, it's a pretty devastating condition. Yeah. And I mean, most of the impacts you've spoken about there are obviously hugely burdensome to the individuals themselves. What impact does this have to the individual and their opportunity to participate, their work disability and to society, I guess, as well? 
Yeah, it's an excellent point. Huge. So we know painful osteoarthritis is associated with inability to work at all. So early retirement and time off work. It's also associated with something called presenteeism. So people are at work, but they're not able to do really They're not able to work at their full capacity. There's a a lot of, because of limited mobility and often changes in residence, they can't continue to live independently. And then there's a whole set of associations with healthcare use and joint replacement that can come later on. Wonderful, thanks for sharing that with us. Now, the impacts are massive and broad, but do they differ? by the different joints that are affected in a person who has osteoarthritis? Yes, they do differ by the joints affected, but unfortunately more and more we're seeing people with multiple joints affected at any one time. So, you know, we used to sort of think somebody has base of the thumb hand OA, and that would affect their grip and their ability to write and and important activities, obviously um, with your dominant hand or knee or hip, or if, you, if you're if you a lumper like I am, the low back. But often we see people with three, four, five joints involved, often bilateral, so both knees or both hips and the hands and the low back and the neck. So um, yes, the impact varies. It seems to be greater with, with impact on the lower extremities, the hips, the knees, the feet. Um, but Honestly, I don't see a lot of people anymore that have a single joint that's the problem. It's multi-joint that's much more common, I think. Yeah. So on that note, and just thinking about ways that we potentially can address this epidemic, if I want to use that word, moving forward in the future, um, there's been a lot of people that have spoken about the importance of single joint therapies, You know, whether that be injections, whether that be a joint replacement. But when we think about the fact that, you know, a large proportion of people here have multiple joint osteoarthritis, oftentimes it's symmetric across, you know, both knees, both hips, and both hands. Are public health approaches here going to become more important and sh- or should we just continue to focus on reacting to the single joint that's uh, presenting to us in the clinic? I'm so glad you asked that question because that's exactly where I think we need to go. I think really at the end of the day, the two most important things that we have to do for this osteoarthritis epidemic is to address obesity and physical inactivity and probably joint injury too. And that is not what we're doing currently. We need to really be starting in childhood with lifestyle behaviors. And that's really hard because it's not just about people. It's about the whole built environment and the social health determinants, uh, income, access to good food. It's, a, it's complex and complicated. But to me, I don't think we're going to get out of this if we keep just reacting with joint replacements. We need to really get at the very beginning. And that's, that's the same thing that's true for diabetes or heart disease or anything, because they all have these common risk factors and obesity in particular at the, at the core. Yeah, no, it's one, wonderful to hear you say that. And uh, I don't think we can emphasize that point enough is that, you know, whilst we're obviously talking about burden and the impact on individuals today, it's great to think futuristically and visionarily about how we might change that moving forward. And I think we're really going to need to reevaluate the way we deliver health at the moment and yep. focus much more on health than it is on uh, reacting to disease. But that's probably a nice segue into thinking about osteoarthritis per se and the impact this has on 
both the presence of other illnesses and the concomitant comorbidities that occur with it. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the common comorbidities, how common they are, and the impact that that, in addition to osteoarthritis, has? Yeah, osteoarthritis is very, very, very commonly associated with other conditions that are also age-related, obesity-related. So diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, abnormally high lipid levels in particular. So things that we call cardiometabolic that relate to that increased body mass. And we actually know quite a bit about how these conditions interrelate in the sense that we know that people that are living with osteoarthritis, but also have one of these other conditions, which maybe up to 90% do, are less likely to get their osteoarthritis diagnosed, less likely to get their, their osteoarthritis treated. And we think that that's because the other condition is seen as or conditions are seen as more important, more life-threatening, you know, and people still have this crazy belief that osteoarthritis is just normal aches and pains of aging. But what we're focused on now is that I talked a few minutes ago about the mobility issue and the fact that knee osteoarthritis is going up at leaps and bounds. And when you can't walk, you can't do your physical activity, which is a core management approach for all these other conditions, your heart disease, your high blood pressure, your diabetes, etc. So, you know, we've got some evidence, and it's a growing body of evidence that if we don't treat the osteoarthritis, we're actually making the other conditions worse, we're increasing risk of developing diabetes complications, having a heart attack or a stroke, or actually even dying. So I think it's starting to become a more coherent story about, listen, this is all one person and we've got to pay attention to the osteoarthritis in the midst of these other conditions. It's so, so important. And I guess the unfortunate and frustrating element of most medical care at the moment is we oftentimes tend to be very siloed, uh, very much focused on diseases that kill you um, yep. as, as opposed to those that maim or disable you. But again, moving forward, how would you envisage this would occur and how would you frame this? Should this be about just managing chronic non-communicable diseases as a whole, or should we continue in a siloed, frustrating approach that often occurs at the moment? Actually, we're, we're working right now on a project to identify and treat osteoarthritis, knee osteoarthritis in people with diabetes to prove hopefully, that if we can improve their ability to be mobile, that we can actually improve their diabetes management. So I do think that there's a holistic need to look at those core management of all these conditions. It's kind of back to what we were talking about. Physical activity and maintaining a healthy weight are critical to everything, everything. So Problem is, I don't know about in Australia, but in Canada, I didn't get taught how to prescribe exercise. I wasn't really taught about how to talk about diet. I mean, I, I can figure things out, but it really wasn't part of our core medical curriculum. I think it should be. I think we should all know how to talk to people about physical activity and about weight management. There's actually more been done on weight management than there has been on physical activity. We've just finished doing interviews of family physicians and endocrinologists who treat diabetes. And even though physical activity is a, 
is in every guideline for the management of diabetes. And most of them have, you know, diabetes educators and, you know, these complex diabetes programs. Nobody is trained to talk about physical activity and nobody's asking about joint complaints. And when the joint complaints come up, they say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about that. I guess we shouldn't be pushing you to do exercise. So, you know, I totally think we need to shift the way we think about it's kind of the same conversation we just had is we physicians need to get with the program and really need to to be learning how to do motivational interviewing, talk about physical activity, healthy lifestyle and and in a pragmatic and simple way that resonates with the rank and file population that we're we're taking care of. Yeah, such important issues. And hopefully we can address some of those uh, gaps, particularly the educational gaps moving forward. As we've alluded to, some of these diseases get higher priority, such as cancer and heart disease, because the perception is that they kill you, um, and rightfully so. Historically, I think most people have thought osteoarthritis is not associated with any increase in mortality, but rather just disability. Well, I shouldn't say just, but disability. Yep. What's the truth? I don't think we know quite yet, but I would say I think there is an increased risk of death associated specifically with osteoarthritis. We know a lot of that is due to other risk factors that we've already talked about, obesity, probably physical activity, et cetera. I guess the the big question is whether there's some level of inflammation um, in the body associated with osteoarthritis that might be contributing to risk over and above the other conditions, being heavy, being physically inactive, pain. But I, I think there is, and we have shown that there is a, a meaningful increased risk of, of death associated with osteoarthritis. Yeah, such important messages. And I hope some of those messages get through to both the listeners, but also ultimately in time to uh, to policymakers and government so that they can influence the care that people receive. Now, is there anything on the topic of burden and impact of this disease that you think we haven't emphasized enough that you haven't spoken about that you'd like to cover off? Well, the, there is one thing, given that we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic and surgery has been cancelled. I've spent a lot of my career looking at appropriate access to joint replacement. And while I think we've already stated that joint replacement is, is a treatment for the end, it's a pretty effective treatment for the end when other things have not been successful at keeping somebody active and pain-free. I've seen through the pandemic so many people toss musculoskeletal surgery, joint surgery, like joint replacement off as, you know, it's, it's optional, it's elective, it's not important. And I guess, I guess, while it's not the same as taking a cancer out of somebody's belly, or it isn't, I get that. But I think it just minimizes how incredibly important it is to relieve people of their pain and their disability for all the reasons we already said. And a cancer in a belly is less common than people walking around with advanced osteoarthritis, which could be significantly benefited by surgery. So I guess 
I'm not pushing surgery. I'm a rheumatologist, not a orthopedic surgeon, but it's a very good procedure. And it bothers me that we're, at least here in Canada, we have long wait lists that have just doubled because of the pandemic and because of the sort of belief that it's, it's part of the whole OA thing. It's just not that important. So I, I guess I want to emphasize that. And the rates of joint replacement continue to climb. We've just finished a study that shows, well, everybody is showing that the rates of knee replacement are going up fastest in people under the age of 60. And in the group that we just studied, there were about 15% of the people under the age of 50 who had a body mass index over 40. So huge impact of obesity, again, on early development of OA and the need for joint replacement. So again, I just think it's, it's part of the story and part of the, it's the burden of this disease. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some of those messages are so important for our policymakers out there in terms of prioritizing the importance of this particular disease and not treating it as a second rate citizen, uh, which is off, often the case. And be prioritizing it according to the management of other diseases. This is a serious disease. Um, and for those people out there who are struggling in the pandemic accessing healthcare, there's some wonderful resources that are remotely deliverable and available through the Kiel University website, through the Joint Action website that provides some remote resources that hopefully can help people as they're struggling through what is a very challenging time globally. Now, Gillian, you're a visionary. If you could do anything to improve health and healthcare, what would you do? Well, you already asked me that question because we already talked about it. And that is, I would pay a heck of a lot more attention to the social health determinants. I think we have to be much more focused on public health. I think that we've got to really fundamentally get to the root of what determines health, education, clean water, good food, physical activity, safe environments. I think Frankly, we've got to a point where if we don't start paying more attention to those things, we're going to be bankrupt as a, as a healthcare system, probably all healthcare systems. So I think we need to pivot. Agreed. Now, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of things in your role? Well, having graduate students or trainees are the, probably the best source of asking you tough questions that you can't answer that then you have to go and figure out. So I would say having lots of young people around me asking those questions is very helpful and constantly reading constantly. I mean, I think that's one of the beauties of research, actually, too, because you're you need to read in order to write a paper or write a grant or you know, develop a protocol. So you're constantly reading. And um, it's the pleasure of this whole academic effort. Now, my favorite question, I think that I ever get to ask people because it provides me more insight than I think it probably provides more listen, my, the, the listeners that are out there. But why do you do what you do? What motivates you? really, really, really care about osteoarthritis. I really want to crack this nut. And I kind of realized that I probably am not going to see it cracked in my lifetime. But I do feel that what you're doing, and what I'm doing in terms of advocacy and, and providing new knowledge that helps to influence policymakers 
is our, it's just so meaningful. It's really gratifying. And taking care of patients is the most wonderful thing in the world. So, you know, it's a good job. Well, keep doing what you're doing and maintain the passion. Now, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Yeah, yeah, I, I struggle with this question. I think it would be something related to, yes, you can walk on a sore joint. It will make it better. But I think that's too convoluted. So I have to figure out a cool way to say it. But I think a lot of people are flummoxed by well, it hurts my joint to walk on it. So why would they be telling me to exercise? So it's busting that myth that I think I would use the billboard to do. Yeah. So something like stay active, don't fear it or something. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Okay. I'll think about that. One. <laughs> I'm sure you'll come up with something brighter and more creative than I did. But is there any one piece of advice, knowledge, wisdom that you'd like to give to people out there who have osteoarthritis? say that people need to demand care. I think people with osteoarthritis have become complacent, or maybe always were complacent because everybody tells them that their disease is not important, and you can't do anything about it. And it's not serious. So really, the best thing that could happen would be that people don't take no for an answer. I, I have to tell you a little anecdote. One of my research patients actually said to me, her family doc told her that she was just getting too old, you know, and it was just aging and wearing of her knee. And she said, well, with all due respect, doctor, so-and-so, my left knee is the same age as my right knee and it's not bothering me at all. So I think we need more patients questioning their clinicians, their physicians and demanding the care that they deserve. Yeah, definitely. Don't take this lying down. Get as proactive as you can and, and demand better yep. care. Completely agree. Now, Jillian, what have you read or listened to recently that inspired you? Maybe something too wacko out there. I, I've been spending a lot of time really on equity, diversity, inclusive, inclusivity. And in Canada, we're having quite a horrible time with anti-Indigenous racism. So I've been reading a lot of work from Indigenous Canadians to try to really get my head around and understand how a country like yours and mine, which were colonies, have got to where they've got not taking care of people. And I've read some incredible Indigenous Canadian authors. Tanya Talaga is the most recent one, and I have found her work very inspirational. Well, continue that really important work. I think there's a lot of parallels that probably we can learn from one another with the treatment of our Indigenous people. It's been yep. horrific, and hopefully we can learn from one another in that. Now, where can listeners connect with you online? Well, they can email me if they wish. I'm also on Twitter, but I'm not on my personal Twitter. I'm on my Department of Medicine, University of Toronto Twitter, but they can get me there if they so choose. And my email, I'm happy for people to email me anytime. Jillian, thank you so much for coming along today. Your words, your passion. I hope you continue to do the really important work that you're doing in this space. It's a wonderful privilege to have a chance to chat to you about it. Thank you, David. I have enjoyed myself also. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed this week's topic as we've discussed an important topic that I think is of relevance to all of you, particularly when thinking about making a difference to those who create policy and govern us. 
as described in the show, over 528 million people worldwide are affected with osteoarthritis. And this number is continuing to rise due to the aging population and increase in risk factors. Major risk factors for osteoarthritis include injury, occupation, and obesity. There's a number of different comorbidities associated with osteoarthritis, including high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and back pain. And importantly, those with osteoarthritis have a 55% increase in all-cause mortality. Take this information away, go and talk to your policymakers, your politicians, and see what they can do about making a difference for you and for those other people out there with osteoarthritis. Do take care and we'll be with you soon. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong. Music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.